Good morning. Um, for those who might not know me, I'm Phil Owen, uh, one of the elders here at Chapelwood. Uh, as Dan, or as uh, Brian rather, has um, led us in praying, our teaching pastor, Dan, had a family emergency yesterday and uh, so is not with us this morning. Thank you for joining in prayer for him. Um, so we'll, uh, I'll, I'll get to bring our message from God's Word this morning. Uh, we've said the last couple weeks that we're beginning a series uh, called Gospel Foundations that will take us through the book of Genesis in bits. Uh, this morning was to be the first of those messages from uh, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, so if you've been studying Genesis 1, getting ready for this morning's sermon, uh, please note that your labors won't be in vain. Uh, but we'll anticipate picking that up uh, together next week. Um, but uh, as the Bible begins by telling us the story of the creation of the world, uh, I thought it would be good for us to consider that it turns out that's not uh, the only creation that the Bible talks about. Uh, there's a new creation, and I would like us to consider uh, this morning a passage that focuses on that. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are copies in the back of the pew in front of you, those blue uh, Bibles, uh, and the passage we'll look at can be found on page 1068. Um, and... If you don't own a Bible, uh, please feel free to take one of those home with you. We would love you to have it and begin reading it. So 2 Corinthians 5, we'll read verses 14 through 17 this morning. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the word of the Lord. Mm. This passage falls in the middle of a portion of Paul's letter that offers a description and really a defense of his missionary ministry. Uh, he says in verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. After becoming a Christian, Paul dedicated his life to uh, seeking to persuade others about Jesus. And it led him into a great deal of hardship and trouble. Um, it appears that some people may have been criticizing or discounting Paul's ministry because it led to so much trouble. Perhaps they were saying that God wasn't with Paul since Paul encountered so many obstacles in his work. Paul wasn't at all like a television evangelist who gives his sermons from a glitzy studio in a thousand dollar suit. Paul wrote in verse 12, 
that he wanted the recipients of this letter that we call 2 Corinthians to be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Verse 13 suggests that some of those may have been saying that Paul was absolutely out of his mind to carry on the kind of ministry he did. So the verses we're considering this morning are part of Paul's reply to that. Um, And his answer, in short, is that in Christ, he had become a completely new creature. And he was able to do, and in fact called to do, things that formerly would have been impossible for him. These things have application to us as well. So let's dig in. Paul says in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. As we prepare to study God's first creation in Genesis, I thought it would be good for us to know that there's another creation after that one. And I'd like us to consider four questions this morning. First of all, why do we need a new creation? Second, why do we need a new creation? Wouldn't uh, some sort of reform or renewal that's less radical than that do the job? Third, what does this new creation in Christ look like? And finally, let's ask, we'll go beyond our passage a little and say, is this new creation finished? So let's begin with the first of those questions. Why do we need a new creation? Well, as we'll consider in the weeks ahead, God originally created the world as a good place. Uh, Genesis 1 presents God's creative acts in a series of six days. And six times through that account, God looked at what he had made and saw that it was good. Until at the end of the sixth day, we read, now God had finished everything at this point, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So the picture we have is of a beautiful world filled with natural wonders, plants, animals, and the pinnacle of his creation, man and woman made in God's image. Everything is doing what it's supposed to do. Everything is fulfilling the purpose for which it was made, and it's all doing it in glorious harmony. Something happened before long, however. The image bearers of God, uh, human beings, man and woman, decided that God could not be trusted in what he said. They decided that the way God made things really wasn't in their best interest. They decided that they would be better off by disobeying God, and they did. That was a momentous development. The pinnacle of God's creation, those who were to represent him and rule under him over everything else he had made, decided to rebel instead. And the consequences were dreadful. We read of the first murder in chapter 4. The murderer is then afraid that other people will kill him. And his fears were well-founded because next we read of a man who's boasting about killing somebody who had struck him in a fight. Death, whether from what we now call natural causes or from violence, became the common fate of every person. 
Now, when God looks at the earth, he does not see that it is good. Instead, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In other words, the world looked a lot like it does now. Rather um, than everything doing what it's supposed to do, creature is destroying creature. Rather than man extending God's kind rule over the earth, he is destroying his fellow man and the world and the earth as well. Now yes, there are still good things like science and industry and art, but rather than surrounded by glorious harmony, even those good things take place in a context of violence, of unfaithfulness, of theft, deception, greed, hatred, lust, grief, and fear. Clearly, if there is to be any hope for planet Earth, something needs to change. And that brings us to our second question. Why do we need a new creation? Something needs to change, but why can't it just be reform of some sort? People have thought that for thousands of years, and they've tried hundreds of things. But every form of government, every structuring of society, every plan of education, every advancement of technology, only leaves us with what we read today in the news. A world torn by strife, riddled by corruption, and seemingly teetering on the edge of destroying itself. We are slow to acknowledge the obvious. I see signs in front yards that say, just be kind. If you happen to have one, please don't take my criticisms as too harsh. It's a nice sentiment. I'm thankful that people recognize that a lack of kindness in our world is what leads to a great deal of its trouble. And yet, after all these thousands of years of human history dominated by violence, unfaithfulness, theft, deception, greed, hatred, do we really think that encouraging people to just be kind is going to make a difference? How much experience do we need to see that such things don't work? I suspect there isn't an answer to that question. We don't need more experience to make the obvious more obvious. Our problem is that we don't want to admit what is so obvious. The Bible doesn't have that problem. It very straightforwardly diagnoses our condition. The problem with human society is humans. There's something inescapably evil about human nature itself. It isn't all evil, mind you. People still bear the image of God. We still have some sort of awareness of what's good. We can still reason and feel emotions. We can still create beautiful things. We can still have great ideas. We still love and care. We have awareness of what's good, but the problem is that all of these things, even the good that we do, 
get tainted by evil. We can appreciate what is good, and yet we choose what's evil. We, why is it that we're entertained by movies and shows and games that are filled with violence and wrongdoing? There's something that attracts us to that that shouldn't. We can still love and care, but we choose the people that we will love, and we decide that the others we can hate. We entertain ourselves on social media by saying terrible, mockful, hurtful, and hateful things about those who don't agree with us on a certain topic. We entertain the myth that there are good people and bad people. Now, I'm a good person. And if only we could get rid of all the bad people, everything would be okay. But it isn't true. Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Idi Amin, uh, Kim Jong-un, and whoever heads the political party that you're not aligned with are persons just like you and me. They only had the opportunity to do what was in their heart in a, to a degree that we don't have. Instead of just thinking that another race is inferior, they had the opportunity to try to eliminate it. Instead of just despising their political opponents, they had the opportunity to kill them or put them in jail. Instead of wishing people would treat you more like a god, they had the opportunity to demand it. Instead of just wishing you had as much money as the folks in the neighborhood over there, they had the power to take those people's money. But it's the same stuff. It's just working out the same things that is in our heart to a, degree, a greater degree. The same rot works itself out in each of our hearts, and it has for thousands of years. A key doctrine of the Bible that seems radical to many is actually the most obvious thing in the world. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to our own way. All have sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. For the mind that is set on the flesh, that's just the natural person, is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are, who are in the flesh cannot please God. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And you were dead in the, transgress in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The Bible's pretty clear about all this, and so is our experience. 
But as I said earlier, we don't want to admit what is obvious. Despite every evidence to the contrary, we still somehow want to save ourselves. We don't want to admit that what happened at the fall, way back in the first chapters of Genesis, corrupted our very nature. We're like lumps of lead trying to become gold. We can try. We can try all day. We can try for thousands of years. Other people can try to work their magic on us, but it won't happen. It can't happen because it's not in our nature. We can't use our nature to change our nature. So that is why a new creation is necessary. The last passage I read extended some hope because it was in the past tense. You were dead in trespasses and sins. The author must have been writing to people who had been made alive. Which brings us back to our text. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Well, whatever Christianity is, it isn't a reform program. It's not a religious way of saying, just be kind. Christianity promises a transformation of the whole person. It isn't about an old creation trying harder to be good. It's about becoming a new creature. So, if that transformation hasn't happened to you, uh, please ask one of us about it this morning. Uh, we'd love to talk with you about it. It's the thing that makes Christianity different from everything else. But for now, let's move on to our third question. If we grant that this new creation is possible, what does it look like? So let's go back to our text. What does the new creation in Christ look like? Verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. The logic there is not quite as obvious as the things we've been talking about. Uh, so let's uh, look at this a little bit. Let's take the all in this context as referring to those who have given their lives to Christ. Jesus died for them to pay the penalty that they um, to pay the penalty for their sins. And Paul says that because Jesus died for them, therefore. They died also. So how is that? Well, it's this new creation idea. If in Christ you become a new person, the old person had to die. If, you're, uh, if the lump of lead is going to become gold, it can't be lead anymore. And that's a crucial point. Becoming a Christian isn't just agreeing with some ideas. It isn't adopting certain religious propositions. It isn't just admiring Jesus, talking about him, and trying to be more like him. It is those things, but it's more. It's your old self dying, and you're becoming a new person, a new creation. This isn't something only for the mature, uh, super spiritual Christian. Paul says that everyone who is in Christ 
died. And as the end of our passage says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But what does it look like? Well, verse 14 began, for the love of Christ controls us. Now, that could mean two different things, slightly different things. It could mean that the love Christ has for other people now controls us. Dying and becoming a new creature means that we see the world like Christ sees it. Instead of treating people whose politics differs from ours like demons, we love even our enemies. We pray for them even if they persecute us. So Christ's love in us would lead us to do seemingly insane things like suffer hardship to tell other people about him. Or there's another thing that that phrase could mean. It could mean that our love for Christ controls us. If that were the case, then dying and becoming a new creature means that whereas before we didn't care about Christ, now we love him. We love him so much that we're willing to do anything for his honor, even seemingly insane things like suffering to bring the gospel to other people. So which is it? I don't know, because both work. (laughs) So I'll punt. Uh, So what does it look like? Well, verse 15 says, and he died for all, that those who live, that's those who have died and been made new creatures, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And there's the key. The Christian has been made a new creature that doesn't live for itself, but for Christ. Christ, who gave himself for us and rose again. So let's read on. Verse 16 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. This too can be read in more than one way, but this time I'll make a choice. Uh, According to the flesh means the way that we used to view things before we became new creatures. So, Paul's saying two things. He's saying, first of all, that we no longer regard anyone the way we used to. The new creature no longer sees another person as inferior. The new creature no longer sees another person as someone we might be able to use to our advantage. The new creature no longer sees another person as someone I might be able to deceive to think better of me than I deserve. The new creature no longer sees another person as someone that is okay to hate or speak evil of because he or she disagrees with me. The new creature no longer sees another person as someone whose misfortune isn't worth my inconvenience. The second thing Paul says is that we no longer see Christ the way we used to. The new creature is no longer indifferent to Christ. The new creature no longer sees Christ as just a great teacher or moral example. The new creature no longer sees Christ as just a lawgiver like Moses was. At the same time, The new creature no longer calls Christ Lord, but isn't serious about following him when he calls us to do things we don't want to do. For the new creature 
Christ is our life. We love him. And the more we become like him, the more his love characterizes us as well. So I keep asking, what does the new creation in Christ look like? In a word, it looks like transformation. And if everyone who is in Christ is a new creature, then there is no salvation without transformation. If everyone who is in Christ is a new creature, there is no salvation without transformation. Does that make you shake in your Protestant boots? <laughs> Does that sound like justification by works? It shouldn't. James says faith without works is dead and will not save you. He means that something that calls itself faith but never produces works isn't real faith at all. There is no new creation there. The person is still spiritually dead. Hear it from Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he says we are his workmanship. That's a new creation. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. If there are no good works, there's no new creation. Grace is not opposed to works. In fact, the works are the product of grace. Let's hear that from Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God at work in us, what we might otherwise call grace, when we want to do his will. That's God's work in us, when we even want to do his will, because that's something that only a new creature wants to do. And it's God at work in us when we're actually able to do it. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Here is the difference between Christianity and every other religious system in the world. Every other religion says work in order to be saved. Christianity says work because you have been saved. We are saved by grace through faith apart from works but we are saved through a faith that by grace works. We are saved by grace through faith apart from works, but we are saved through a faith that by grace works. So, I spoke earlier to those who know they aren't in Christ. Now I want to speak to those who want to consider themselves to be in Christ. Has there been any transformation? 
if you aren't to some degree controlled by the love of Christ, you're not a new creature. We should talk. But before we do, let's answer our last question. Is the new creation finished? We go beyond our passage here a little bit, but the answer is no. The new creation has begun, but it isn't finished. And this is true in two aspects. First, we as individuals are not yet complete as new creatures. The spark of new life is in us, but we're still growing. The transformation has begun, but it's not complete. Hear the words of Paul. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So Christians as new creatures are being perfected, but we're not perfect yet. If you know Christ Jesus, but are troubled by some of what I've said, because you see a lot of transformation still needed, take heart. Remember, the desire to please him is a work of his grace. That's evidence of the new creation already. It's God in you. So keep pressing on, just like Paul. We need to press on together. But that's a topic for another time. So I said the new creation isn't finished, and that is true in two aspects. The first is that we as individuals aren't uh, finished yet. But the second is that it turns out that the new creation will be finished in you and me when it's finished in everything. Remember what we said earlier about the good creation in Genesis 1? The world in which, for a short while, everything was doing what it was supposed to. Every one thing was fulfilling its purpose, and everything was doing it in glorious harmony. We're going to get back to that. And in fact, where we're headed is going to be much better than even that was then. Let's uh, hear it from Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That is what we wait for, brothers and sisters. What do we do while we wait? We press on. 
to see as much of the transformation take place as possible. John put it this way, Beloved, we are God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's what it's about. So to sum up, the first creation was very good, but human rebellion spoiled it. That's why we need a new creation. A consequence of the rebellion is that human nature itself has been corrupted. We need more than reform. We need a new creation. Those who are in Christ are indeed new creatures, and it shows by their works. We are saved by grace through faith apart from works, but we are saved through a faith that by grace works. And the new creation won't be finished until Christ returns. But when he does, not only will we be perfect, but the whole world will be in glorious harmony under Christ the King as it was made to be. Amen.